Health and dental benefits are not insurance. I'm going to say that one more time. Dental benefits and the majority of health benefits are not insurance products. I want to drive this home once and for all because it will fundamentally change how you think about insurance or think about benefits, how you negotiate from a position of power instead of a position of weakness, and how everything becomes crystal clear to you. So let me back up. What is insurance? Well, real pure insurance are times when you have a rare, unpredictable event that you pray doesn't happen, and you will be devastated financially or emotionally if a claim does happen. And so in exchange to outsource this devastating event, you pay a very small premium that you can stomach every month or every year. So home insurance, you pay $50 a month. And if your house burns down and you have a $300,000 claim, well, there you go. So it's rare, unpredictable. You pray your house doesn't burn down to the ground and you could not afford to self-insure that. You really can't afford to spend, you know, $300,000, $500,000 to rebuild your house. Dental benefits is literally, they're literally the opposite of what I just described. Um, you're going to go to the dentist every three to six months. Pretty predictable. You also don't pray that your employees don't submit a claim. You actually want your employees to have clean teeth and to have teeth because it's good for business. Um, it's also not going to make your company go bankrupt because someone submitted a $100 dental claim. And you could probably self-insure it. Like a lot of companies, although, you know, insurance companies probably don't like it, literally self-insure. They'll tell their employees, sure, we'll pay for your dental. Um, submit me a receipt and I'll pay you back. So I'll pay you back half of it. And a lot of companies operate like that and they might have a $30,000 budget for it and that's it. So, you know, health insurance is very much like that too. Like, you know, of your health benefits, you have a health insurance part. That's the stop loss or the pooling point And that we cover in a separate episode. But then you have the non-insurance health items that are benefits, but they're packaged in with insurance and sold as a unit. But the majority of health is, let's say, vision. So vision, you know, if you're buying a $100 pair of glasses from Warby Parker or from Bond Look, I should use a Canadian example, uh, it's not going to devastate the company. If you are buying um, $1,000 a year in antidepressant medication, well, that's not an unpredictable event. That's pretty predictable. Like we know the statistics of people that use antidepressants and it's a pretty high number. Um, you're also not praying that people don't use penicillin. Like really human beings are human beings and they get sick. There's nothing you can do to stop a human being like from getting sick. It's one thing we know for sure other than death or taxes. So once you understand that really aside from group life insurance, group long-term disability, group critical illness, group stop loss or pooling for health. Aside from those, dental and most of health is really an expense account and you're hiring someone else to manage it for you. And if you happen to hire an insurance company to manage it for you, that's okay. But guess what? You can also hire not an insurance company to manage it for you. You can hire a health spending account provider to manage the health and dental benefits that are not insurance and then you can go ahead and buy group insurance from an insurance company separately. We'll get into the nitty gritty of that in another episode, but that's why fundamentally most health and dental benefits are experience rated. Experience rating means literally the insurance company or the carrier is using the group's claims experience or claims history to set the premiums. The rates are based on experience. It is a cost plus method of setting premiums. So 
If you've got a renewal, it's a 20% increase to rates. Oh my God, what are we going to do? The sky's falling. Well, let's look at it line by line. What is happening to dental? Dental's going up by 10%. Okay, why? Well, guess what? The claims went up. And the claims, maybe they went up by 10%, maybe they went up by 3%. We can get into renewal and quoting methodologies and weighted averages later in another episode. But fundamentally, if in the last three years you've had $10,000 of dental claims every single year, guess what? Your premium is going to be $10,000 of claims plus fees. Let's call it 20% fees. Then they add a buffer for inflation. Maybe they add 5% for dental inflation and sales tax. And that's the premium. Maybe they take that divided by the number of people in the company divided by 12 months. That is the dental rate. It is not magic. It is not rocket science. So if you're negotiating, it really helps to understand this phenomenon because you can't go in blind saying, well, that 20% increase is too high. You better drop it. Otherwise we're leaving. You can only use that really once, maybe twice, but like insurance companies start to understand your style of negotiating as a broker and will react to that. And they will not take you seriously if you're using just the hammer and a brute force method to move groups. Same, you know, if you're a client listening to this, it's the same thing. If you're trying to negotiate your own group's premiums, it really helps to know that the claims drive everything else that you're paying. Now, you know, we get this question all the time. I get the question from plan sponsors or customers saying, I want to remove some things on my plan so that we can save money. Like they'll flip through their booklet and say, you know, I don't think anybody is using the naturopath coverage. So if someone is not using it, can we cut it so that we're not paying for it? Guess what? You were not paying for it to begin with. You are only being charged what you're being using. It's an expense account. So again, throw out that idea that your benefit plan is like a cell phone bill where you've paid, um, and you know, I guess it does depend on your cell phone provider, but let's say you're thinking, okay, I've paid for cable and TV and internet and my phone, and I'm never watching TV. I'm not using the cable, so I'm going to cut these channels, and I'm going to save money. That is the opposite of what's happening in benefits. And so it's, it's not about your booklet as to what words are there. Like, it's not like, well, we have, um, you know, 10 scaling units for dental and we've got an x-ray you can get every other year. It's less about that and more about, well, you can write that down, but if people are not using it, you're not being charged for it. So another analogy I like to try to give here is hydro. So think about your, or your electricity or energy bill. You know, I'm using hydro because I'm in Ontario as an example, but, um, you know, if somebody comes to your house and says, I want to make the pipe that goes from the city water system to your house so large, um, I want to make it like 10 times the size of the pipes you're using now. So you can get more water that comes in. Well, guess what? If you don't turn on the taps, if you don't use that water, if you don't run your laundry more often, your water bill is going to be the same as it was last year. But if now, because you've got a larger pipe, you're going to be using it a lot more, then you're going to be paying for it. That's exactly how benefits are. The benefit contract and the the words that are stated there that says what you can claim are like the size of the pipe. You could have an unlimited benefit plan saying you've got unlimited coverage for massage, but if no one actually submits a claim for massage, you're not getting charged for that. It's just like asking someone to cut payroll. You can't say, I want to cut payroll by taking away the funds that people are not using or by taking away the employees that we're not using. It doesn't fly because you're only paying people that are working. You're only, you're giving money to people and they're spending it. So you can't take something away 
Um, unless you literally cut it, you have to take the money out of that person's hands. That is a fundamental reality that I think most customers and even most brokers don't understand. But you have to understand this fundamental infrastructure in order to move forward. I mean, I'm t- so here's a broad statement, like health and dental benefits are mostly non-insurance, they're experience rated. There are exceptions to that. I mean, here are some things that can be experience rated and cannot. Um, stop loss, like if you're buying an enormous amount of stop loss because you're a very large customer, that can be experience rated. But typically a small business or I mean, you know, any business by themselves are not going to want to have stop loss or health pooling as experience rated. It's too risky. Short-term disability is actually priced as an experience rated benefit or a cost plus benefit from insurance companies. However, a lot of people think, well, short-term disability insurance is insurance. And so we're paying this premium so that if people get sick, well, guess what? If you actually look at the nature of short-term disability, first of all, it's payroll. Like you're saying, literally, we're going to continue your payroll, but at a reduced amount and for four months. Companies are usually budgeting to spend 100% of payroll for 100% of their employees. And so if they're getting a claim, well, we are already prepared to pay 100% for 12 months but now we have to pay, let's say, 60% for four months or eight months, depending on your plan. Um, so short-term disability, I'm sorry to say, is experience rated. Um, even long-term disability can be experience rated if you are a very, very large size, large customer, like 5,000, 10,000 lives. Um, an employee assistance program can be experience rated if you're very large, but it depends on large. Like if you've got more than a thousand employees, that's when potentially your EAP provider could do that. You could probably do that at a lower level, but that's when you're getting into self-insuring. Obviously health spending accounts and personal spending accounts are pure experience rated because they're not insurance. It's literally just an expense account. So again, if you fundamentally understand that you're really not buying insurance for health and dental, you're just outsourcing the claims payment to someone else, it flips the whole discussion and it changes things. So now when you want to drive costs down, you're looking at, okay, what are the line items that we're spending on that really don't maximize patient health and are not great value? So one example of that, I hate to say this because it's not a very popular thing to say, is the massage benefit. A lot of companies love that they see the words massage and it's covered up to $500 per year per person in the family. And that's a really nice benefit to promote and to show off. But in terms of like, you know, if you've got that for everybody and everybody decides to actually max out on that $500 and you've got 10 people in the company, let's say they're all singles, you know, you're going to be spending literally 10 people times 500 plus fees and taxes. So unless you're prepared to pay, you know, five, six, seven thousand $7,000 a year in massage, like it doesn't make sense to have that. But if you've got massage coverage and no one's using it, well, you're going to be paying $0 for premiums for massage. Cause again, it's experience rated. So that's an example where you might say, well, are we really maximizing patient health by spending this $6,000 or could we spend that $6,000 elsewhere to really maximize health? Um, you know, that's, that's one example. I mean, vision, I know vision is another popular benefit. People, love to complain when there's no vision in the plan, but you're not going to be uh, saving someone's life. Like no one literally passed away because they couldn't see because of their vision benefits from the plan, but people absolutely pass away from cancer. They pass away potentially from HIV or AIDS, maybe less so than they used to, but they do. And so putting that money, like if you've got a drug benefit plan that pays for 80% of drugs, and you could increase that to 90% or 100%, that's going to make the difference. Because guess what? 
even 10 or 20% of a cancer drug is a ton of money for the average Canadian. If a cancer drug costs $30,000 a year and you're asking your patient or your employee to pay 10% of that, that's three grand, or God forbid, 20% of that, that's $6,000. And the average Canadian salary as of this recording date is $55,000 a year. That's 10% of their gross income or maybe even 20% of their take-home pay. That is life-changing. Like There are literally people who will decide to get treatment or not, whether they can afford it or not. This is a statistical fact. It's been studied a million times. If you take a healthcare economics course, you will see it clear as day. And that's why you have to really think hard about your benefit plan. You have to close your eyes when you're in the front of the firing line and people are saying to you, I hate that we don't have vision. I hate that we don't have massage. And you have to stand up straight with your backbone and defend the silent minority. Defend that one person that makes $55,000 a year that is a single parent that cannot afford to pay 10 or 20% of their cancer medications because your benefits are not insurance, they are experience rated, and it is cost plus. So that's the episode. If you have any questions or you would like to um, request an episode, please feel free to reach out to us. Our social handles are at Beneplan, that's B-E-N-E-P-L-A-N on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.